Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hey, hey. For this week's episode, in uh, honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, we thought we'd decide, we decided that we would try to explore some writers of Hispanic heritage, and what we decided on was the works of the Hernandez brothers, Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez specifically uh, the first volumes of Love and Rockets by each brother, which includes Maggie the Mechanic, as well as Heartbreak Soup. You got any other background information for us, Drew? Uh, Nothing that you can't find online, but uh, Love and Rockets, the stuff that we're talking about tonight uh, was published by Fantagraphics. Pretty easy to find because it's available digitally, but also available in print in multiple formats. The Mm. stories that we're going to be talking about today were originally uh, published in the early issues of the first volume of Love and Rockets, and it started back in September of 1982. And this is a series that's long running, and they still continue to put out new Love and Rockets comics to this day. Uh, I don't know what the frequency of their release schedule is like but i know it's still going on and both of the books that we're looking at are the first volumes of each brother's uh individual works i know Mm -hmm. that they've made trades or collections that collect uh, both of their stories in the same book and then there have been uh, bigger collections that collect like a bigger chunk of one brother's in one book and the other brothers stuff in another book but yeah we're looking at maggie the mechanic by jaime and heartbreak soup by gilbert Hmm. um you mind if i ask before we like you know get too deep into it but what's your uh i guess familiarity with these books or your you know any history do you have any history with these books or prior knowledge before we did this episode Yeah, a little bit. So back in the early 2000s, I want to say, actually, yeah, I'm looking it up online right now, and it looks like about 2003 was when uh, they they did these big hardcover collections of each brother's works. So there was a book called Palomar that had Gilbert's stories. It was a Mm -hmm pretty fat collection and i i think it was abridged meaning i think i don't think it collected everything that he had done up to that point but i think it was like a curated collection of his work but fantagraphics did a a really big hardcover called palomar and then Mm -hmm. the one for jaime that they did was called locus and that one again I, i think it was uh an a curated collection of everything that he had done with his uh, Maggie and Hopi stories up to that point. So mm-hmm. those came mm-hmm. out, I guess, close to 20 years ago. And I just remember borrowing them from the library because, you know, it's Love and Rockets, which is considered one of the most significant comics of all time, really, you know, like influential and uh, of artistic merit. So I had to check it out. Uh, really big tent poles in indie comics 
And as somebody who was getting back into comics in the early 2000s, I, I guess I was just trying to expose myself to all the stuff that I never read when I was a kid, you know, because these aren't comics for kids. These are strictly adult comics. And even if you these did are literature. Kid, yeah. Yeah, they are basically. literature. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess even if you did give these to a kid, I don't know if the if kids would actually be interested other than the fact that uh... sometimes they could find boobs and stuff, you know? There's I was going to say, <laughs> kids would definitely be interested in the boobs. Yeah, yeah. That That is true, man. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that, mean, that's how Batman I read it. never had stories. those. Batman? Yeah, I guess I guess yeah. not. Yeah. But yeah, I read I read those comics back then and I mean to be honest, these are comics even at the time when I read them, I think I didn't retain a whole lot. So coming back to them now after all these years, it's almost like reading them for the first time. I still remember certain characters and the general vibe of stuff, but in terms of specific stories or plot points, there's a lot that I didn't remember. Mm. And back then, I think the main thing I got out of it was really just an appreciation for the craftsmanship. I don't think that the stories resonated with me. So even though I recognize what makes them good and why they're great comics, I don't think I felt strongly about them in a personal way where I was like, yeah, I got to own this for myself. And it wasn't until yeah. uh, several months ago, or maybe it was even closer to last year, Black Friday or something, when there was a digital sale on Comixology and decided to pick them up because they were like 99 cents or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite I mean, a substantial album. Yeah. And it, it's, it's certainly something that's worth owning, especially at that price. So uh it's good for uh your comic book edification you know like i I feel like if you're gonna be taken seriously as someone who claims to have an understanding and knowledge of comics you you gotta at least like read some love and rockets right uh (laughs) yeah 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 sure this this is a very telling moment because it just reveals um you know how how different me and drew are in out in our outlooks uh in in how we view our uh, i don't know our fandom our craft (laughs) i'm I'm probably closer to the pretentious edge of the of the scales than albert i I feel like you tend to lean towards just stuff that you like and find entertaining. And I feel like I'll force myself to read stuff that I'm not actually interested in just because. Yeah. Because of word of mouth or because they're, you know, held up as these, you know, great works or whatever. You well, know? I think it's fair to say that you, I mean, I've, I've even heard you say this in the past, but you're someone who enjoys the challenge of comics. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's, it feels like that's certainly something that enhances your reading experience where even if you don't entirely get what's going on, uh, you know, if, if it was a, um, I guess, satisfactory endeavor, uh, in spite of the, the complication of it, I think 
you can walk away with this objective appreciation for it whereas yeah i might be a little more emotional about these things and uh, you know i'll i'll say that doing this podcast with you heck even just knowing you and having you in my life it it puts me in a position where i read a lot of things where that i probably wouldn't read if i was left to my own devices um <laughs> what's another thing that you wouldn't have read without me oh man i i can i i i'm pretty sure there's a bunch of stuff that I probably would have just overlooked or ignored over the years or not even thought of or given a second thought to uh, just just because, you know, my mind doesn't necessarily, uh, uh, I, I guess I just get tunnel vision when I read. So I, I don't really go too far out of the way or out of my, my uh, lane in order to explore what's out there. Uh, but you know what we should talk about for our next episode? We should talk about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Black Dossier. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I still don't think I've finished that, actually, now that I think about it. I think he talked Justin Schwann into buying it for my birthday one year, and I tried to read it, and I think I got to the part, to the chapter where it was all he tries pros. to. I, I don't even think, well, it might have been prose, but I think it was the, the section of it where Alan Moore is trying to mimic like Shakespeare or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, I was just like, uh, I think I'll just put this on the shelf and come back to it later. And the I'm pretty sure it's been like 20 you. years now. <laughs> yeah, it's been like almost 20 years. <laughs> Probably at least so, solid 15. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Alan Moore is, you know, when he's accessible, uh, that's probably what most people think of. But you're not too big you know, a fan of the really experimental stuff. Uh, I think I've developed an appreciation for it. I don't know if I would go out of my like. I definitely have my limits in terms of what I'm willing to put myself through for. Um, for educational purposes, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like I read Promethea, I finished all that, and that was something that was pretty next level, pretty, there were some pretty crazy ideas, especially towards the end of it. Yeah. But other than that, um, you know, I, I don't think I, well, this might be easy to say now, years after I, I finished reading the entire series, but at, at least as far as I can recall, I don't remember hating it. I don't remember hating myself for reading it after the fact. Okay, okay. Yeah, but um, Black Dossier, all these years later, I still remember that. <laughs> so did you hate yourself for trying to read the Black Dossier? I don't know if I hated myself for trying to read it, but... Did you hate Justin for buying it for you? <laughs> no, no. I didn't hate Justin for buying it for me. But I uh, I think I just needed like a long, long break before I wanted to go back to it. And that break ended up being somewhere in the ballpark of 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> More like yeah. a decade and a half because I'm pretty sure that came out like around – it couldn't have been earlier than 2005. Okay, okay. 
well, if we continue on this trajectory, it'll be 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we just got to make that happen, man. <laughs> that should be uh, an experiment. We should just force yeah. ourselves to read something that we don't want to read for the podcast. I, I definitely think there's value in it from a objective standpoint. Would you, would you rather read the Black Dossier for the podcast or would you rather read the first year's worth of Spawn? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That is... Uh, I think the part of me that respects you and doesn't want to disappoint you would say the black dossier, but the part of me that doesn't want to put myself through it would, would likely, I think there's a part of me that might say spawn. <laughs> spawn would definitely take less time and brain power. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't have to work very hard to, to read it, but there is a certain pain that comes from that too. Cause you know, there's, it's I'm I'm confident that it's stupid enough where I'd just be like, why, why, why am I doing this to myself? You know? <laughs> maybe it's, maybe know. this is the argument in favor of us starting a Patreon. <laughs> if we get enough people financially backing <laughs> us, we can they can make us just read all kinds of crap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hey guys, you want to see me put hot coals out in my eyes? <laughs> For 50 cents from each of you, I'll do it. I will debase myself <laughs> and cause irrepar irreparable harm and damage to my body. Oh, <laughs> I'll give myself stigmata. <laughs> Man, that's a uh, yeah. That, that's getting a little too dark it's almost like people would be paying you to it's like snuff porn ex exactly it'd be like the real life red room <laughs> oh man but um i now that i think about it though yeah, yeah you know to go back to your question um I, we're, we're on a bit of a tangent at the moment but still it's it's worth uh answering uh i do think there, there could be something educational in that experience of reading Spawn as well. It'll at least put me in the mindset where I can even begin to try to understand what its appeal is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then again, I'm pretty sure I can pin down what its appeal is without putting myself through all that too. It might be <laughs> reductive and insulting and you know, dismissive of certain peoples, but do I really care whether I'm right or wrong on that topic? I don't think so. All that really matters as is as that people listen that to I our didn't podcast. Have to read it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we had two different takeaways. Okay. <laughs> our priorities aren't matched up. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Anyway, um, that whole that whole tangent, I think is still somewhat related to the books we're talking about today because just from our preliminary discussions throughout the month as we worked on reading these two books, I guess it would be fair and honest to say that neither of us particularly loved 
Maggie the Mechanic or Heartbreak Soup. Uh-huh. And I'll, I'll say for myself, the feeling that I had reading it this time was still pretty similar to the feeling I had reading it the first time, which was I really respect the craft. I like different bits and pieces of scenes and uh, sequences throughout both books. I admire the artwork, especially Jaime's artwork. But ultimately, the in terms of just having emotional resonance, I can't really say that there was too much that stood out to me or left an impact on me. I think it's a I think Love and Rockets as a whole is is something that I want to love more than I actually love it. I respect it and appreciate it for its craftsmanship and just the technical aspects of you know comic book storytelling and and mastery and all that. But as far as just being purely entertained, I, I don't think it's exactly for me. You know, I feel kind of the same way that I felt when we read The Inkle for the podcast a couple years ago, where The Inkle is also something that's regarded as a classic tentpole, you know, foundational work that had a massive influence and impact. And, you know, everybody, all the right people love it. And it's pretty much the same with Love and Rockets. You know, when you think of the most impactful, influential, and straight up good 80s comics, you know, there's the the stuff that everybody talks about, like your Watchmen's, your Dark Knight Returns, Mouse, maybe Swamp Thing, American Flag, perhaps uh, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Love and Rockets. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's one of the ultimate alternative comics, indie comics uh, in American history. So it's it's certainly important. You know, it stands out. But I think when we read the Inkle. Again, that was a work that I appreciated for the craft, but, uh, you know, I haven't actually gone back and read any more of it since we talked about it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it, it didn't connect with me in the way where it made me want more. It was more just an appreciation for what I did read and uh, a recognition of why it's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll take this as uh, an opportunity to discuss my background with the book as well. Um, yeah, the Love and Rockets was something that I don't, I think I was always familiar with the book, even, you know, even way back when, uh, as something that I would see in like magazines here and there. But one, I guess I wouldn't really pay too much attention to it because it didn't have like Spider-Man punching someone in the face. (laughs) (laughs) But, but even though it wasn't necessarily uh, in the wheelhouse of the kind of comics that I read um, just because of its prominence and within certain circles, it's, it wasn't something that I could ignore either. It wasn't something that I, hadn't noticed is is what i'm trying to say it was it was always something that i would see in comic book stores on the shelf or in magazines and um i don't think i remember ever reading anything by anyone who you know um had anything to say about it but in, in spite of all that 
in spite of uh, you know my isolation from the book, it, it wasn't something that was possible because, again, like you said, this was a book that's so highly regarded and so um, so beloved in comic circles that it's it's kind of hard to ignore completely if yeah. you go to you know a comic book store or if you interact with comic book people um so yeah i was definitely aware i've definitely been to comic book stores that don't carry any indie comics that's true that is true uh there's more than our fair share of uh dungeons and just you know comic book flop houses yeah uh yeah brothels exactly (laughs) i feel like any comic book store that that's worth its weight in gold you know they're they're bound to carry indie comics and you gotta carry love and rockets yeah. on the shelf yeah yeah um in terms of my feelings on it uh so you know this podcast this episode is was my first opportunity to read this particular work actually now that i think about it i i, I have read some uh Hernandez brothers stuff that you've passed on to me in the past so like I think I did read Sloth way back when and uh yeah, maybe some of their Gilbert other Hernandez book yeah maybe some of their other works uh that that's not Love and Rockets related but yeah you know it's it's stuff that I don't really remember right now but I think I generally had uh respect for what it was that I had read uh I'd even say you know, digging deep into my memory, um, I think with Sloth, I might have had more positive uh, feelings than not. Um, mm-hmm. But in regards to you know this Love and Rockets, they're they're I guess they're the work that they're known for. This was the first time uh, that I actually had to read it, got to read it. So uh, I will say that it's. It's a pretty dense book. It's something that I, I started a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, with each brother. Like you said, we, we read one fo- volume from each brother just to get an accurate metric for their work as a whole. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I'm not above admitting that I might be uncultured enough or too dumb to fully appreciate it for what it is um so i like you have a a healthy amount of respect for uh what it's what it's brought to comics as a medium but in terms of enjoyment that it's probably not something that i you know that i would convention uh, what i would consider conventionally uh entertaining or 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 something that i would say conventionally is enjoyable <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, um <clears throat> you know if if someone wants to consider themselves a a a comic academic it's it's worth reading and it's worth uh digesting uh just so that you can i guess contribute to the overall conversation of comics and um you know 
what it takes for the medium to progress and to grow beyond, you know, stagnation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we necessarily have to love everything. I think being able to recognize something's quality isn't the same as, as loving it. Right. And, yeah. and certainly I've, Certainly, I like and maybe, no, definitely have loved comics that are of lesser quality than this. And, you know, sometimes that's just how it is. We we enjoy the things that we enjoy. And whether even if it's not necessarily the best, you know, you can't help yourself. Sometimes you, sometimes yeah. you don't want a $50 steak. You're okay with, like... $8 burger or whatever it may be. I mean, I I in I eat at Taco Bell regularly and I'm <laughs> hard pressed to consider that food. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. it's some kind of processed it's processed meat. But uh, you enjoy it. Substitute. Yeah, but I enjoy it exactly. Yeah. But I'm not above admitting that it's exactly. it is what it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You want to get into uh, Maggie the Mechanic a little bit? Sure, we can talk about Maggie the Mechanic. All right. So Maggie the Mechanic was written by Jaime Hernandez. Yeah, I. It's it's hard for me to really describe. I guess it's it's the story of Maggie as as she gets a job working for a future mechanic and the adventures that she goes on with her. A uh, group of friends, um, you know, including uh, her on again, off again, will they, won't they, love interest, race, and her, I guess, her best friend, Hopi, as well as the various side characters in their life. Um, that's the, yeah, I feel like that's the only way that I can describe it. Um, is there anything you want to add, Drew? No, I think that's a pretty broad synopsis that kind of fits the broad amount of stories in the book because this the this graphic novel this first collection is kind of all over the place in terms of a bunch of different stories so Mm -hmm. there's not necessarily one main narrative that runs through it but there's a few big stories and then uh like albert was saying like you were saying there's a few stories a bunch of stories really that have these side characters where Opie and Maggie are on the periphery or, you know, it, it just explores the inner lives of somebody else in their circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you, did you want to go into like any of the themes that you feel that any of the, uh, that Maggie, the mechanic covered uh, any of the ideas or any of the things that, uh, popped up for you hello i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) i thought my thing disconnected for a second so i was concerned (laughs) um yeah uh well okay here's something that i did read about it that I, i guess it applies to both the books, but well, no, okay, let me go with this instead, actually. Uh, so I do feel like in terms of a comic, it does 
feel like it's I don't really know how to do how, how else to describe it except as kind of a for the time retro throwback of a romance comic but with again contemporary uh moods and attitudes of the time um i don't know if that really makes any sense at all but it's it felt like jaime hernandez was channeling something like archie where it had this playfulness with these kind of goofy characters but at the same time it also embodied this sort of slacker malaise or yeah i don't i don't even know if that's entirely an accurate depiction of it but that's that's how i felt as i was reading it what do you think mm-hmm. i i didn't really get the slacker part but what i i think instead of the slacker aspect i think what i sort of latched onto was the punk rock aspect yeah yeah that's definitely a subculture that has a pretty prominent presence in the book mm-hmm. it's something that i feel like i've seen a lot or been exposed to quite a bit just in terms of other movies other books comics or just looking at uh you know just the music when i listen to music from that era you know there's definitely those kind of vibes from the 80s so it it does reflect the work does reflect the the time that it was produced mm. it it's still kind of foreign to me in the sense that even though i enjoy punk music i've never been a punk and i've got not no really real part experience. of the cult- what's that <laughs> we're not really part of the culture exactly exactly yeah. definitely not part of the culture uh yeah. but just being able to uh consume it through works of fiction or even the occasional documentary it feels it i think that previous exposure to that kind of culture does make maggie the mechanic have some sense of familiarity in terms of the overall tone and and vibe Mm -hmm. so there's that i think i think that definitely gives it a pretty strong sense of identity because it's that aspect and the character interplay between Hopi and Maggie because the way that their dynamic works is quite memorable because they mm-hmm. they're roommates who are really close friends and Maggie's always pining after some other guy but Hopi is in love with her mm. And she doesn't really have a, I guess, a chance to really progress their their relationship from friendship into romance. Or I'm not, I'm not entirely clear if uh, Maggie even realizes if she's oblivious or if she's just uh, not interested in Hopi that way. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's a dynamic that is so strong throughout the book that that uh it's probably one of the biggest things i'll remember from the series yeah 
it's again they take that idea of the will they won't they or the love triangle of uh old romance comics and they apply it through the filter of i guess modern at the time contemporary like relationship dynamics right so Mm -hmm. um whereas in the past you had archie and his uh eternal struggle was betty or veronica right but Mm -hmm. now uh, you know this came this comic came out when again like in the early 80s in the early 80s you know if you think about it in terms of the time period you know gay culture was just beginning to thrive or become part of or more normalized right so the idea that well what does that love triangle look like when it's filtered through the prism of those kinds of relationship dynamics and how do you apply that to you know those story those kind of retro stories moving forward and again yeah you see that uh that interplay and um yeah i guess it's that exercise of taking something old and polishing it up so that it can work for modern audiences and and it makes sense here because again you see the way that jaime draws them it's very reminiscent uh in terms of how the people look at least of those kinds of old comics but the world they exist in it's one where they have um hover bikes and semi-futuristic technology like it it doesn't ever enough there are also dinosaurs yeah right it's it's a it's a pretty wacky world that they exist in yeah Um, but it's always played pretty much straight up yeah there's even a guy a pretty big recurring character who who looks kind of like a devil because he's got these horns on his head yeah there's never like, any explanation for what that is or why he's like that, but yeah, we just everybody take just it on takes face it, value. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like he's just that guy who just is a part of our world, and he's not like some sort of uh, minor character, or in, in the sense that you know he's a nobody in their world. He he's like a businessman. Yeah. Exactly. He's rich. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's. I feel like that was one of the strongest uh, things that jumped out at me when it came to reading Maggie the Mechanic. I really yeah. do like the artwork. I think Jaime's art is really crisp. You know, he's got a really, even in these early works, he's got a really great eye for just the contrast between blacks and whites on the page. Like there's a, a really strong sense of graphic design. And just how uh-huh. the how his panels look with with these high contrasts, and as the as the stories progress, um, I don't know exactly like what period, how many months passed in between the first story in the book and the last period in terms of when he was writing and drawing, but you can definitely see a progression in his art where some of the earlier stuff there's a little bit more hatching, and in his later stuff, it's more clean. And the cleaner his work gets, I feel like that's when it looks more and more like that classic style where you're talking about a reinvention of that Archie sort of sensibility, but with Uh this punk rock vibe. That's what it kind of looks like, I think, when he goes into his cleaner style. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any other, like, 
themes or or concepts that jumped out at you anything in particular uh that you know left an impact on you while you were reading it to be honest not really yeah i mean this is again it's it's just really my personal tastes so i I think because i wasn't super into the stories most of them didn't really stand out to me in any way where i would point to a single story and and just be like yeah this is like everything i i wanted you know mm-hmm. there there are I a would... few stories that i did like oh sorry yeah. what were you about to say no 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 please finish Oh, I was just saying there were a few stories that I did like, but even then, I don't, I think it might just be more relative, you know, like in, compared to the, a lot of the stories in the book, I felt like I, uh, as I read them, I kind of just forgot about them after I finished reading them, to be honest, like they, yeah. they didn't leave a a memorable impact on me. And I, yeah. I did start reading this earlier in the month. So, uh, for those of you guys who have been listening to us for a while, you might have uh, remembered that we actually went on a trip to Hawaii for our friend's wedding uh, earlier in the month. And uh, basically, when we were on the plane, I was reading Heartbreak Soup and Maggie the Mechanic, just trying to get a head start, because I remembered from the first time I read them way back when, these were some dense comics, you know, like there's, there's it's not just that there's a lot of words but the artwork is dense too and there's a lot of panels per page and just the amount of detail and and storytelling elements in the panels was pretty high so i knew i had to get started early like i couldn't just wait until the week before we record this podcast to read both of those books yeah so yeah so with with having uh some weeks passed <clears throat> in between reading and recording this episode there's definitely a lot of stuff that i just straight up forgot and it's yeah. it's really more just general impressions that kind of stand out i don't think that uh <laughs> i don't really think i have that many intelligent things to say yeah well okay so i'm i'm glad that you put it out there because the experience was the same for me i i feel like if you had a hard time then I was definitely going to have a hard time reading it and admittedly that that seems to be the case it's it's like you said it's a very dense book and I think for me it was more that it was more the fact that there was just so much so many words and again as someone who you know respects the craft of craft of comics uh I, I appreciate this book for what it's trying to do but admittedly there were just things about it that didn't grab me um the characters were you know they were fine like i think maggie is kind of whatever the punk version of a manic pixie dream girl is in that she's you know supposed to be this kind of likable uh hippie little character that doesn't you know, she's not the kind of girl that necessarily turns head heads immediately, but supposedly once people get to know her, there's, you know, this quirkiness and this, you know, punky fire about her that uh, 
draws people to her, right? Yeah. But, you know, and that isn't to say that I, like, hated the characters, but it just felt like I just didn't really feel the impact of these characters on me. And maybe that made it a little hard for me to really engage myself in what I was reading. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that. I think it is uh, one of those things where what I what I've seen a lot of other people say about Love and Rockets is that one of the most appealing things about it is the characters. Generally speaking, people tend to latch on to the characters and and have love for Hopi and Maggie. Yeah. But if that wasn't something that connected with us, then it's hard to. I don't know. It, it's just different, you know. Like the love yeah. that other people have for those characters wasn't something that either of us really felt either right yeah Yeah. but i'd even go so far as to say that i think conceptually like (laughs) this might be a weird thing to say but conceptually like she's the kind of girl that i could find myself interested in on a theoretical level (laughs) but it's just whatever they put on the page if you were a real person uh, I think so. Like, if she was someone that was not necessarily in my life, but in my orbit, and I, you know, and I saw her on a regular basis, I think I would be drawn to her. You'd but for her? I think so. I think so. She'd, she'd be the kind of girl that I would be interested in. But Dude, you, you got to update your dating profile to, <laughs> to be like, I'm looking for my Maggie the Mechanic. <laughs> well, let me finish, though. But it's that thing where when you actually meet someone or, you know, once you get past the infatuation part and you get to know them, if if she was anything like this person that was in the comic, um, I'm not saying that I would hate her. I, I don't think that'd be the case, but I, I don't think I would be quite as infatuated with her. Mm. Like, she she would just be another person to me, you yeah. know, as yeah. opposed to, like, the object of my uh desire yeah so so there's that i'd say for me i i didn't particularly feel any sense of endearment towards her or hope yeah yeah no that's absolutely true it's not i don't see that as a fault of the writing or the storytelling at all it's really just a matter of my own the way my own head is wired or my, my own sensibilities you know it, like yeah. there, there's not i think there are other characters that i was more interested in in the book than the main characters yeah yeah and and i feel like this is worth mentioning as well like i, I i'm pretty sure we've talked about this in the past where we talk about how you know there's stories that you read and there are some people or some types of readers who think i have to like the the character in order to like the story yeah and it almost sounds like what we're saying here is, well, I didn't really like the characters or I didn't love the characters, so therefore I wasn't really in love with the story. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's it's not a thing where I hated her and therefore I hated what the story was about. You know, I've read plenty of stories where I hated the characters, but I was still engrossed with what I was reading. Yeah, But it just felt like the characters here were kind of a blank slate, you know? Like for for all of the people that are infatuated with her because she's quirky or whatever, 
like that sense of quirkiness didn't make itself abundantly clear to me you know Mm -hmm. it's it's it kind of reminds me and this is kind of a bad comparison because i wouldn't want to be compared to it but it reminds me of x-men origins where they had ryan reynolds as deadpool and i remember watching that movie and everybody was like oh deadpool or wade needs to shut up he's such a talker he's such a you know he he's such a motor mouth or whatever but i remember thinking to myself he really hasn't said much of anything at all over this movie. It's just a bunch of people constantly saying that he's got a motor mouth or that he's, you know, a jabber jaw or whatever. Which... Wasn't that the movie where they stitched his mouth shut? Yeah, 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 exactly. And they made Deadpool a teleporting, I don't know how else to describe it, but freak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's that thing where if the character is supposed to be a certain way, then that should be abundantly clear. But if someone's idea of uh, communicating that this is a character's uh, characteristics is by having other people around them constantly say it, even though they don't by any means exhibit it, there's something that's not connecting there, you know? Well, here, here's the thing about a couple of the stories that, I did really appreciate and enjoy in this collection is uh-huh. that there were a couple of stories where they do that exact thing that you just said, where other characters are commenting on Maggie and Hopi. And for some reason, those stories actually worked better for me than the ones that were directly about Maggie and Hopi. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm I thinking specifically of the stories Locos and A Date with Hopi. Yeah. Like Locos is the one where Speedy Ortiz, uh, he's talking with one of his buddies, basically about his history of knowing Maggie and, and Hopi. And as he tells his buddy these stories and reminisces on the past, I feel like that's when the quirkiness of the character comes out and of the Maggie character comes out. And I'm able to kind of see what Speedy sees in her as he's describing mm-hmm. her. You know, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. a lot of the other stories that she's the star of in this collection, I don't really uh, feel too much of a sense of endearment towards her. I think yeah. hearing somebody else talk about what makes her cool, I think that made her seem more cool to me. So, yeah, yeah but I, I totally get what you're saying, because usually yeah. I guess the rule of... The general rule of fiction is to show, don't tell. But mm-hmm. the, those two stories that I really liked are the total opposite. They just break that rule because it's it's all about telling. Well, but here's the thing about that. Because I, I liked uh, A Date with Hopi as well. Uh-huh. And, you know, we, we, we'll get into this right now since um, we're going to talk about the various stories within uh, Maggie the Mechanic that did appeal to us. So A Date with Hopi is a story about this sort of this one-off character, at least at the time. I don't know if he ever reoccurs or shows up again uh, throughout the course of the series, but it's about a young man who who sees Hopi and Maggie at an event and slowly but surely over time, you know, what starts out as a friendship becomes a story of him becoming infatuated with Hopi and you know, even trying to um, 
be with her, but event ultimately it's a story of his rejection and just how they drift apart. And, you know, it's a story that he's telling in retrospect where he talks about how this was his experience with, with this character and, you know, c'est la vie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's, it did make me think, because I thought it was kind of funny to, to read this story and really have this be one of the main stories that appealed to me on an emotional level throughout the course of this, of reading this um, Well, it volume. was about unrequited love and disappointment and rejection and heartbreak. Yeah, so, you know, it's right up my alley because <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> Same here, man. Same here. <laughs> but the thing I was going to say was it's it's funny to me to think that in this one instance, this story seems to work because these characters, the character of Hopi is more of a concept as opposed to this actualized person. Um, you know, we're not, we're not really privy to her interactions. What we're seeing is we're getting through the, the eyes. Point of view. Yeah, point of view. exactly. From his perspective, these are the things about her that he likes and that has drawn him to her right but over the course of the book we've been able to read about what she actually is like and who she actually is and it's 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 almost like maybe the conceptual version of her is more interesting to me than the real version of her yeah yeah which I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some sort of metatextual commentary there about what uh, you know romance and infatuation is about. But um, it, it it did strike me as a pretty weird thought that I just spent the entirety of this book reading about these two characters, and it wasn't until this very last story in the volume that I felt any sense of, like you said, endearment towards Hopi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's a short story too, like maybe what four or six pages or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think even even that in and of itself is a pretty good achievement. Like that that's a story that shows you the level of craftsmanship that Jaime Hernandez has at his disposal, you know? Like he's able to just take a small amount of pages and give you this entire romantic saga and make you feel something and yeah that's not that's not something anybody can do yeah yeah you got a good point there's uh like just like you said just the fact that he's able to do it at all and in the span of six pages it did make me wish that more of the book was like that but hey whatever what if um, that had been the first story of the book? Do you think it would have affected the way you read it? Oh, man. I don't think so. Because if the rest of the book was still the way it was, and I, I, I'm still at a loss for words at how to describe it, but it's... Because the way I was thinking about it was, what if you read that story first as your first exposure to Maggie the Mechanic and all the contents and stories within... But a date with Hopi kind of gives you this blueprint in your mind as to who Hopi is and what she's really like. 
so that when you read the rest of the book, you'd be kind of like looking for those qualities and, you know, thinking about those stories in light it's of... It's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that theoretically there's a chance for that. I, like we've already read it in the order that we've read it in up to this point. So it's hard for me to say. Um, I was going to say that the rest of the book is still what it is and it's still pretty dense and there's yeah I don't, I don't know if there's any guiding that they could have given me that would have helped me to overcome um the density of what i had read in those chapters you know yeah yeah, yeah. were there any other stories that uh jumped out at you or i could give one of mine the other story that I did enjoy was the one called Penny Century on the Road Again. I think that's the story I'm thinking of. Uh, but yeah, Penny Century is one of the friends of Maggie and Hopi. She's like this really beautiful woman who seems to have a a good heart and like wants to do something with her life, but she doesn't really do anything except she hangs out with the with uh, Costigan, the guy. Who has the horns and she kind of just seems like his plaything or something uh but there's a story where she's like on the run from him and uh i think i think this is the story where somebody uh or costigan gets some somebody to try and track her down and then this guy finds her but he ends up falling in love with her and then like all these funny hijinks ensue like that was a story that i enjoyed mm. and if i'm if that's not the story that i just named then that's just my poor memory but uh yeah penny century is is one of the characters that i did gravitate to maybe my favorite character in the book mm, mm, mm. yeah you, man yeah um one of the stories that i do remember and I guess I have uh, a fondness for it. it was mechanics and this I want to say it's a story that sort of ends up being the the period at least up until this point of the Maggie and race relationship because it starts out with them going on uh, a mission or not a mission but on on a on a project um i guess in the future mechanics are kind of a big deal so race is uh this uh futuristic mechanic and you know they're they're in they're so i guess popular that they're almost like celebrities yeah. and what ends up happening is they go to this one island to work on this project and what ends up happening is they run into this character. What's his name? Uh, Chiapan. Chiapan. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. But they go and you know they stay with this uh, character. And what ends up happening is they, you know, uh, Maggie sees this as an opportunity for them, for her to progress their relationship with each other. It's this idea that oh my, we're gonna go and work on this project, and you know we'll flirt with each other, and eventually. Um, 
you know, it'll lead to a relationship. But while they're on the island, this, uh, you know, kind of tabloid writer goes there. And what she's really trying to do is she's trying to get with race as well. And, you know, it's it's a lot of, uh, what's that called? Where they, uh, where things happen that just kind of throw a, a wrench into the the relationship working out at all and mm-hmm. at one point race ends up even sleeping with the reporter and you could see him ta- uh, you know thinking to himself the morning after and he's talking about it and he's like why did i do that i like what maggie have i done yeah yeah it's basically that right he's like i like maggie but you know for whatever reason i can't find it in myself to like just tell her that i like her but then this you know this reporter starlet comes over and i like sleep with her like it's nothing so it's mm-hmm. this you know again uh it's another complication thrown in there to like muck up their relationship when what ends up happening is maggie uh you know she she happens to show up just as they're parting ways and she knows that they've slept together and you know she's mad she's mad at race and uh she ends up going to this factory the where the project is happening and while all that's going down uh i guess revolutionaries blow it up and she gets sunk mm-hmm. uh underground where she travels uh within the sewer system and everyone thinks she's dead and it's yeah, just the yeah. story of her uh I don't know if she goes on like uh, a metal, you know, on a on a emotional journey or anything like that. Well, no, I, I guess it's an emotional journey. Like she struggles with her friend. Uh, I forget her name, but their their struggle One, for survival. Yeah, it's the wrestler. Wrestler. Yeah, yeah, but their struggle struggle for survival brings them out on the other side, where to the point where she decides by the end of it that she's going to quit working for race and that's just kind of where it ends you know like Mm -hmm. her her wrestler friend ends up deciding to uh commit to the she ends up deciding to disappear into the wilderness to get a chance to restart her life and maggie likewise she's not even mad at race anymore at this point she just decides you know what like I don't think I can work here anymore and she goes off and that's kind of the last of this relationship between the two of them for a while and yeah I I don't know I guess in terms of plotting that was the most interesting story for me and there was definitely that romantic element in there that uh appealed to me mm-hmm. but um yeah that was for me, that mechanics was uh, one of the stories that that did jump out at me. I do think it follows this interesting formula that I've noticed from these Jaime Hernandez stories, which is a lot of them seem to start with kind of mundane things happening, and then it just kind of blows up and becomes this sort of bigger deal. Yeah. But at the same time, everyone seems or feels pretty, I don't know. They, they treat it like it's not a 
there's a, a matter suit. of factness that everybody treats the world that they live in, even though to yeah. us as the reader, it's kind of fantastical. Yeah, exactly. Like a revolution happens and you think that people would be like earlier in the story, the the island that they're on, they they go to what is it like Brazil or something like that, something with a similar name to Brazil, but they go to this place and they end up being trapped there and a revolution happens and all this chaos ensues. Um, Maggie even gets super sick and almost dies, but you know, whereas I think you would imagine that everybody else would be just in this super panic state. They, they're all just kind of nonchalant about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're like, well, that sucks. Yeah. You know, (laughs) <laughs> and i think that's why when i read these it it to me it feels like it's got that sort of slacker that gen x slacker mentality where it's just like it, it almost seems like nothing faces them mm-hmm. i mean they definitely are in this place where life-threatening things are bad like it's not like they're just like standing around allowing themselves to be killed but there's not it doesn't feel like there's that sense of urgency or terror or, you know, panic. Right. Yeah. And, and it just happens quite a bit where again, these, these, there's this one story about that starts out with uh, Maggie and Hopi trying to get 50 bucks to buy shoes. And it becomes them going on this road trip to, um, to like a rich island nation and uh she ends up being kidnapped by by a straggler or you know someone who seems to be a hobo and then <laughs> the what ends up happening with the hobo is it turns out he's actually the prince of a country and by the end of it he's like run away with me and and you know alas she cannot because she loves her race um <laughs> race is the name of the guy not her people but <laughs> yeah <laughs> brand but, race brand race exactly but yeah it, it all started with her just wanting to buy shoes you know mm-hmm. it's it's, it's kind of wild that uh, all these stories start from these really tiny kernels and they like in terms of like what happens in the plot things get big but they still just treat it like it's not that big of a deal they don't you know too surprised by it yeah in in that one comic that i was uh one of that one story that i was telling you about where the guy takes her hostage like she goes to her uh show so they're in like this villa and she's walking around trying to find uh like a snack room or something and she happens upon this one room where this guy is hiding and yeah he basically holds her hostage and she ends up just you know sleeping with the dude and they end up spending the weekend together and she, at least for the time, falls in love with him, you know, or like they have a fling together. Yeah. That's, it's, it's it's kind of mind boggling. It is. It is. It it, it seems definitely none of my relationships ever worked like that. It's questionable. Yeah. 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 Did you have another story? Honestly, not really, man. I, I yeah. think the ones that you discussed are the ones that I I remember too. Yeah. 
I have a feeling that if you were to ask me about these stories again in a couple months from now, I'd probably yeah. have a lot less retention. Yeah. Yeah. I will add one thing though uh that I do want to feel is worth mentioning. Um I <laughs> I struggled to figure out what Maggie the mechanic was about in my reading of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I I tried to do some kind of cursory research or I was I was looking for any sort of a handhold to help me to help guide me in terms of my understanding of it and I think now talking w- with you about it right here it's helped me a lot to at least refine whatever it was that I just read so in, in that sense it's helping me okay but okay but I will say that one of the things that I did notice about it when I was looking things up was that they talked about how these comics, one of the things about them was that they were telling these stories with uh, Hispanic characters or people of Hispanic heritage and just presenting it in a way that was normalizing. And I'd say that that's especially, that's pretty true of Maggie the Mechanic, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of scenes that, where they just, behave and act and they show the characteristics of you know uh hispanic culture by using certain language or the way they they communicate with each other but it's not something that you know um it's subtle enough where someone who who views it can can process the story and just feel like oh, this is just a normal thing for them because it really does feel like there are stories out there that don't necessarily know how to, uh, that don't necessarily know how to show uh, or or handle uh, the heritage of people in a way that isn't overbearing. Yeah. Um, So I do think that Jaime does it in a way where it's, it's, it's obvious, but it's also not something that's so prevalent that it makes that it's constantly reminding you that that's what it is. Um, it's yeah, it, it's just that thing of in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, obviously, they're they're people just like all of us. They just happen to have a different background that to them is normal right and right. uh and that's what we see because here we are in the future they're they're in the future and they just that's just how they talk with each other and and it's not a big deal it's not i do think that you know living here in 2022 there are a lot of people who uh take a lot of issue with stories that you know portray representation in a certain way um i don't think there's anything that you can really say or do that can placate them not that i have any interest in that because i don't really care about them that much yeah but i do think that this is an example of a story where you know if if you watched it or if you read it you could tell yourself oh yeah that's it's it's very like subtle and 
again, I guess it's just matter of fact, like you were saying, that these are just who they are, right? Right. Now, for the kind of people who would get upset about representation, I don't think there's anything... You mean like racist? Any... Yes. I don't think there's any <laughs> level of subtlety that they won't take offense to, quite exactly. frankly. <laughs> so, you know, so someone... There, if there's a panel in here where someone says miha or something like that, or you know uses a term of endearment or something like that, uh, when in, in polite conversation with uh, whoever they're talking to, it, to them it's it's just you know it's just language, but uh, it's not such a huge deal. But again, to racist or to people who take a special, uh, you know offense to the even mention or existence of minorities mm -hmm. uh coexisting uh, in the same world uh there's nothing that you can really do and there's just it, it almost feels like why do i need to be reminded that <laughs> hispanic people are a thing you know it's it's that <laughs> and it's like uh okay sure whatever yeah <laughs> all right did you want to move on to Heartbreak Soup by Gilbert Hernandez? Sure, man. We can go ahead and talk about Heartbreak Soup. Yeah. So we're looking at Heartbreak Soup now. And uh, if I had to be perfectly honest with you, Drew, I actually enjoyed this a lot more than Maggie the Mechanic. I felt like there was it was easier to follow. I felt more invested in the characters. Um, I will admit that initially, having read Maggie the Mechanic first, I think my brain was a little addled and numb. <laughs> so I was really bracing for myself for more of what I had read in Maggie the Mechanic, but uh, it got to the point where there were just so many characters, I had to just kind of put my head down and just read it. But, you know. I, I do think this is a testament to Gilbert Hernandez's uh, writing ability, but over time as I was reading it, and, and before I get to my point, the one other point that I should make is this is a story that jumps from different times, uh, jumps to different times uh, back and forth, but I think initially what I had told myself was I'll just read it as as a collection of short stories but over time as i was reading it i i was able to make those connections uh between the characters so um yeah i i think that says something about it yeah i agree it's heartbreak soup feels more along the lines of a soap opera compared to something like maggie the mechanic because they're both different different worlds i guess i don't I don't think they have any crossover. That's the thing. I think there are some scenes where you see Maggie the mechanic and uh, even that devil guy, like they 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 cross over to Heartbreak Soup. Oh, okay. Like I, I have to I look forgot. for it, but I think they exist in the same world. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't I yeah. wasn't entirely clear on that, but okay. Yeah. Well, if if that's the case, uh, even then. I do think that the stories in Gilbert's book are more soap opera-ish because it's basically about this fictional Central American 
village or small town where everybody knows each other and we get these different glimpses into almost everybody's life at some point like everybody's uh not not related in a biological sense but just all the connections between these different peoples and the way that the ways that their lives intersect with each other as they live in this town uh, you get to see the progression of those relationships as a number of years pass because some of the stories take place when some characters are kids and then in this book you see enough time pass where those kids end up growing up into adults and they may even have their own kids and yeah you know, yeah there's a lot of uh like aging and uh just the passage of time that is quite apparent and it some people even die yeah some people die and they're not forgotten but the other characters as they live on they you know they still think about the people who are no longer with them which is quite realistic mm-hmm. I, th- I think i'd probably say i enjoyed heartbreak soup more than maggie the mechanic overall like the way uh-huh. i think this i don't think this is a hot take I, I feel like this is a conventional take that i've heard other people say but i think i've heard that people have said uh that gilbert is probably the better writer of the two brothers while jaime is probably the better artist and i think i would agree with that like i as far as the art goes in heartbreak soup i think it's fine like he's definitely good at telling a story you know like definitely more than adequate there but in terms of aesthetics, his his uh, drawings still seem a little bit flat compared to his brothers, and there isn't as much uh, like the the dynamic aspects of Jaime's black and white art and the contrast that you see him use in, in his art. It's not really I don't really see that too much in Gilbert's art. It's more just straightforward, uh, do the job of telling the story without necessarily trying to be flashy or impress anybody with a visual flair but his his stories did grab me a little bit more i mean there are still things that i don't remember super well just because i guess like i, I still don't think that it resonated with me the way that it resonates with a lot of other readers but mm-hmm. but uh overall I, I think i still enjoyed it more than uh maggie the mechanic and that probably yeah. is because of the wider variety of characters. Like I was thinking about it where Maggie the Mechanic is primarily about Maggie and Hopi. And yeah, we do get those stories here and there with, with their supporting cast and even just uh, more minor characters. I think with Heartbreak Soup, it jumps around to so many different characters that even if you don't care for a character, a character sometimes you'll find another one that you can latch on to and i i think that does help it kind of reminds mm. me of something like uh sin city even though sin city came out much later it's still got that <laughs> that interconnected world right where everything yeah. takes place in in one location and you do see all these other characters kind of intersect their lives with other characters from other st- other stories set in that world yeah and heartbreak soup is just this uh 
more grounded version of that where people uh yeah they they just live their lives you know and there's a whole lot of life to be lived and i I do appreciate that yeah yeah i agree it's i don't know if it's officially you know i don't know if it officially matches up with the idea of uh, what a slice of life story is i i want to say that it does because again it's really just about these characters living their lives and their progression over the years and just how you know their connection to this town of what was it palomar yeah. palomar mm-hmm. yeah that, like it it really feels like this town i don't know if i'm smart enough to see it but if someone told me that the town itself was this central character that you know inter that all of their lives revolve around um i'd believe it yeah you know uh but it i was telling drew that it's it's something that reminds me of this play called our town where the entirety of the play is about this small town in america and just the lives of the people over the course of time uh and you know as they deal with life love and death right and i -hmm. I think that very much applies to uh heartbreak soup where this fictional town has all these characters and over time you're just watching as the dynamics involve evolve and change as they grow and as they deal with loss as they deal with love and yeah i i think it's the types of stories that resonated more with me um i i'd probably say that you know maybe i I feel confident saying this now but in a few months uh, who's to say (laughs) maybe i won't remember as much of it but i i do feel like the the stories that i did like in this at least as of right now in this moment i feel like i'll still remember uh you know a few months from now maybe a year from now right uh yeah so there's there's definitely things in here that i that i liked yeah yeah man did you have any stories that you wanted to go over anything that you any of the ones that jumped out at you or if you want i could start out with one of mine oh let's see i think my favorite story of this book and i guess my favorite story of the week of of uh, you know between both books is probably for the love of carmen in heartbreak soup it's a story about this character carmen who starts out uh early on in the book we see her as a as a kid and then this story is about her and her husband heraclio or (laughs) also known as hercules and it's about their uh their lives and their romance and their relationship and growing up together and and everything it i guess in a way it's kind of similar to those other two stories i mentioned from maggie the mechanic where it's it's almost uh a lot more it feels like somebody telling us the story of these people as opposed to us actually just witnessing the story but yeah uh i think with the art uh that that helps because if we were just reading the the narration on its own then it really would just be straight up telling but i think 
the artwork does convey enough bits of information that you get more out of it as opposed to just getting a straight prose recollection or straight up prose telling of the story. Mm. But mm. yeah, I really liked how he was able to use a s small amount of pages, relatively speaking. It might have been what, like around 12 pages or something? I don't remember. But it, yeah. it wasn't super long, but it mm -hmm. was very economical. And I felt like through that story, I was able to experience a lot of life and also just get this really touching peek into these two characters' hearts and minds, you know? And I, yeah, I think that was a really impressive feat of comic book storytelling. Yeah, yeah. For the Love of Carmen was one of my favorites too. Um it's it's I think the thing I appreciated about it was this is I guess in terms of all the other characters throughout the book, uh it feels like these two, uh Carmen and Hercules are kind of the I don't know how to describe it. They're they're the same uh, functional couple. Uh, they're they're the ones with the quote unquote healthiest relationship out of most of the people in yeah. in the series, and it's it's the story of their relationship with each other, starting from um, you know their their uh, time with each other as children to you know uh, Hercules's aging and going off to college and just the growing pains that he went through as and and in spite of all that there was some part of him that i think deep down inside still knew that he carried this torch for carmen mm -hmm. and you know eventually you know like like a lot of these soap opera uh romance stories there's there's this sense of uh i guess commitment and romantic desire that they have for one another that's almost maybe not quite fairy taleish but it's idealized it's certainly idealized right yeah and the thing i appreciated about it was it it could have very much ended with this very happy note uh like there's this one panel on page 236 where you know they get married and it ends with just a door and a heart shape and it talks about um you know how what it was like for them to make love on that first night and you know just from a comic storytelling perspective it really does feel like that could have been the where the story ended but the story continues and they begin they reveal like on the next page that at one point she she did cheat on him with another man you know mm -hmm. and it's it's a pretty devastating thing to have happen, but in spite of it all, and, and it's not like they were, it's not like Hercules was happy about it or whatever, but when everything is said and done, by the time you get to the actual end of the story, like through it all, they still remained together. And it ends with this one uh, panel of him and her just sitting naked and you know it's it's i don't think it's like sexual or anything but it's just 
I guess pure on some level where they're talking about how you know she's pregnant now and we're happy and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty like honest representation of relationships because not all relationships end I mean not all relationships even the best ones are, are always ones that uh are these picture perfect ideas of what relationships are where you yeah. know you you might someone might be able to make the argument out there where e, some of the stronger relationships are the ones that do go through these things um you know feel free to disagree but uh that that isn't to say that if i was married to someone i would want her to cheat on me just to know whether i would be willing to forgive <laughs> was, her yeah. <laughs> you know i was gonna say that's another thing you could put in your dating profile <laughs> i want somebody who will cheat on me so that i will so that i will be able to test my love for her <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean there's there's a resiliency to to their relationship and um the fact that in spite of it all there the, the very last panel of it ends with the two of them just you know holding each other and being content with with each other mm-hmm. uh you know i think it's beautiful it's it's a beautiful it was a beautiful story. Yeah, man. I agree. Yeah. Um, one of the stories that I liked in that's actually tied to that is this one called, it actually shows up a little bit earlier, called Love Bites. And it's Hercules and Carmen again. And right at the beginning, there's there's something about it that tickles me because Hercules is... Uh, He's one of the people that left this town and went off to college and, you know, surrounded himself with academics. And then he decided to come back to this small town and to be with Carmen. And there's one point in the comic where he even says that I stay here because she loves the people in this town, you know, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. can tell that he's he's a guy who has lived a little and he's gone out into the world. So it starts out with her about to toss this book and you know him being a college boy he's he thinks it's uh it's outrageous that she would uh you know disparage a book or that she would try to destroy this book right and at one point in the in the scene he uh he he's reading uh what's the book uh 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, right? Mm, yeah, that's and right. Pretty... And that, that really uh, makes sense because I think there's a sense of magical realism in Gilbert's stories as well. I could see that. Fitting, I could see that. I've never actually read tribute. it, but I do know that it's it's a pretty like influential book. It's a pretty mm-hmm. uh, uh, well-regarded book. It's, you know, I'm sure it's on a lot of book lists in terms of things that people should read to educate themselves um but at one point she's about to throw this book and you know she admits that uh she's not like the most well-read person and he he takes the book out and he reads a portion of it to her to try to convince her to show her look at the beauty of these words like aren't they moving and she just goes if you say so sweetheart and she walks away and 
he looks pretty dejected in that moment where he's just like, I just want you to understand. I just want you to like feel what I feel, you know? Yeah. And then the story becomes about him going to, um, I think he's at a, he works at a college and he strikes up this relationship with this young woman there and they, they're able to connect with each other on this level that him and his wife don't necessarily connect on because she too is a literati who, who can uh you know pontificate and uh spew uh words of wisdom regarding various books and you know even the people in the neighborhood are kind of looking at him like wow look at her like look at you with with the little hottie there yeah. you know and yeah, the the little sto- uh, the, the the what ends up happening in the story is, um, you know, he he gets it's it sort of this idea warms its way into his head to the point where he comes home and he doesn't realize it, but he 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 acts out in a way that upsets Carmen, and they have this big fight, and as a result, he decides to go get drunk, and he recalls. Uh, one of the first women in his life that he you know lost his virginity to and in his drunken state he decides to go back to her but i think he's drunk and he's angry because she was upset at him and you you get to see there's this one page where carmen is by herself at home while he's out with luba at uh you know Mm -hmm. potentially about to cheat on her or whatever and it's kind of a sad scene she's just sitting there in the house there's a bookshelf and she walks to the bookshelf and she takes it down and she tries her best to like read and in spite of it all she she just can't and she puts the book back on the shelf and she it's 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 a really sad scene of her just kind of leaning against the shelf and just looking being sad and she eventually leaves the house for the night to be with her sister um but when it's all over uh hercules comes to his senses even in his drunken state and he knows that he he loves carmen and he goes home and in the morning carmen goes home to find him there and it it ends on this pretty nice note where it's carmen's sister and she just says yeah, they'll be in there all day making up. What do you mean? Is that it? What do you want? Blood every time? It's, and yeah, it's just this another reminder of what makes these two characters so likable to me is yeah. Um, it it ties in pretty well with for the love of Carmen because it's just this accurate representation of just the ups and downs of relationships. And in spite of it all, uh, these two characters do care and love for each other. And I think I'd say that I do root for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing mm-hmm. is, and for the love, so this story comes for, uh, before For the Love of Carmen. So at this point in the story, you, you as the reader, have not been uh, given the knowledge that at one point Carmen cheated on Hercules with... Uh, What's his name? Israel? Israel? I think that's that was his name. I don't remember. Yeah. But I I do remember reading this story and then when I got to For the Love of Carmen, 
to come and find that revelation it it was something that surprised me you know because the story that just came before was about how hercules could have cheated was could have cheated on her because he was drunk and angry but even in his drunken angry state there was still a part of him that was loyal to her yeah. and to have them come back to each other at the end of this but then to only a couple of chapters later find out that oh wow that that relationship actually took a lot more strain than i had even realized but mm -hmm. i think that's just a testament to gilbert's ability to i guess throw in drama and uh complexity to to these relation to re these relationships and to let you know that once you get to the very end of it it's like oh yeah they it, it, it it's not a perfect relationship but in spite of all that they did end up together you know yeah i feel like the payoff is pretty worth it exactly 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 it was I, I could only imagine reading this as it was coming out uh, and to, to have that pump primed for the amount of time in between stories only to have that happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Actually, one of the things that you reminded me of uh, about the character Luba, she, there, there's some kind of, I guess I'd say I found it a little bit problematic in the story just because she she basically had sex with a minor or you know he was a kid at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And there there's definitely something pretty disturbing and distasteful about that and it's not necessarily presented in in a gratuitous way but it's still there on the page and yeah there's yeah it, it just feels i don't know it, it's strange to me because i feel like luba is a character that is still portrayed pretty pretty positively and uh -huh, uh -huh. in a way where i guess we're we're still supposed to sympathize with her or empathize with her and she's a major character in the stories. Yeah. It's just that she does some things that are pretty, I, I guess I would say, yeah, despicable. I, I think that's pretty despicable. Well, okay. So I guess the thing I'd say I'd have to mention is it's definitely something that hasn't aged well. Yeah. As, as, as a plot point. Um, I don't know though, but feel like in a lot of books you know there's certainly books in the past that were written where the characters you know have these relationships with adults and i don't know like didn't that happen in like catcher in the rye oh, shoot I, I can't remember or or even something like uh, this one is way grosser, but something like Lolita, you well, know? Yeah, definitely yeah. Lolita. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I guess that's the thing where... But, but the thing the with of... Lolita, even though it yeah. was written from the viewpoint of Humbert Humbert, I, I still think that the point of the book was to 
revile him in a sense, you know? Like he's not he's not this admirable guy. I don't think that's at least I don't think that's meant to be the takeaway. <laughs> I hope it's not. I should reread that. It, it's been I feel, it's I been feel a like lot I've of made years. you question your or made you re-examine your uh, literary tastes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it has been a lot of years since I've read Lolita, but um, so I'm just going off on on my memory, which admittedly isn't the best. And I do think that in Heartbreak Soup, Luba is portrayed as a much more kind of heroic figure yeah yeah i think that's the dicey thing about some works of literature where uh again where you know you tell a story about a a young person who has a relationship with an older person and you know from a moral standpoint that's obviously wrong right but Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, there, there. I'm sure there are classic works where that's that's undeniably a thing that happened, right? And it's just something that you portray as, I guess, like a foundational experience for for this character. Uh, be it based on like something that happened in the author's life or you know whatever symbology that they're trying to convey to us the readers so i don't know yeah, yeah i don't it's, know it's, either it's, it's it's a tough thing to i don't know if i i i, I outright like no I, I i i won't say that i like castigate this book for that because again it's 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 a literary choice and it's i'd have to like think about it more and see if there's any artistic merit to to what his choice was Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's as i think i give love and credit and gilbert hernandez enough credit to to have more of a reason to do that than, you know, just straight up pornography, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think it's something that uh, detracts from the book or makes it so that I don't think the book should be read. It's not on that level. It's just something that, I find it's hard questionable now reading in yeah. 2022. Yeah. It's it's yeah. definitely something that uh Yeah, it, it just makes me kind of question question that. And on top of that, Luba is also drawn like she's mad extremely hot. buxom, you know? Yeah. And it, it yeah. it's almost like well, it's not almost, it's definitely cartoonish the way that her uh, mammaries yeah. are just gigantic you know they're they're <laughs> flopping out of the panels and coming off the page it's yeah it it's strange to think about like why he designed the character like that and made her act like the way that she did i i feel like there's probably stuff in the later stories that goes a little deeper into her cuz 
I know she's a major character. Um, I just, just it's just that based on this one book, I don't really uh, recall anything that kind of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anything can really justify what she did to the boy. Yeah, yeah. It's just again one of those things where it. After reading it, uh, it just leaves me with an uncomfortable feeling. I don't know. Maybe that's the point of it, but it. I do think it's still kind of weird to have that in there in the first place. Maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe it adds to the verisimilitude of the story, setting it in this fictional town. And, you know, obviously no one's literally being abused here because they're just fictional characters. It's just, mm. yeah, just uncomfortable or kind of weird to, to read it uh, today, especially... Uh, yeah, you know, just in with with the <laughs> I hate to say it to sound like elitist or whatever, but like with the enlightened minds that we have now, like <laughs> I don't know about doing this kind of story. It's a strange idea, man. Yeah, yeah, I I do think there are a lot of things that are when we look at sex in art that complicates the matter um because you know obviously art is about capturing uh all avenues of life and that includes sex it's 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 not something that you can deny uh it's just part of living it's just part of life and uh yeah but I think there's also a lot of things that are, you know, obviously harmful to people or come from a place of harm. And it's, it, it just feels like it's, it's a subject that requires more sensitivity than not because mm -hmm. it's, it's especially vulnerable to, to a lot of people. Um, and you know what, that, that, that could be an interesting podcast topic someday like to really like deconstruct that and, and discuss it because you know i'm not i'm not gonna say like i'm a prude of any sort where this is a thing where um you know i i think any representations of sex or sexuality should be banned from comics i i don't think that's the case i think if it's uh, uh obviously thoughtful or meaningful um a representation of it it's worth exploring right and heck I, I might even say that there are people out there who who might make the argument that lust in and of itself uh just for the sake of itself is worth uh is is part of life is a part of expression and therefore even even in the cases where it's you know so simple and meaningless uh even in those cases there's there's uh some form of artistic merit in that right i mm -hmm. i don't know if i necessarily agree with that that's uh, again something i'd have to think about and contemplate further uh to decide where where i i fall on that but i guess my loose uh interpretation of expression is that 
yeah, I, I, I think I would stand more on the line of exploring it than not. I, I wouldn't want it to. I, I obviously wouldn't want it to be gratuitous. If, yeah, yeah, I, I obviously wouldn't want it to be gratuitous. I'd want it to be tasteful and substantive, but, um. Yeah. So you're yeah. saying that you don't want to do a podcast episode on Lost Girls by Alan Moore and Melinda Gebby? <laughs> See, that's that would be an exercise, though. I like I haven't read it, but I remember I think you had the copy like way, way back. And uh, I remember thinking, uh, wouldn't that be an exercise to try to f- find the artistic merit in this? And I don't know. It, isn't it just basically horny fairy tales? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Alan Moore said he specifically set out to create pornography, <laughs> and it's it takes it's kind of similar to something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because he takes these literary characters. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's Wendy from Peter Pan, uh, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, and I, I think it's Alice from Alice in Wonderland. I'm not going to lie. When you said Wendy from Peter Pan, I flinched. <laughs> you did? I did. I, was, I winced, man. I was like, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, especially if he goes so far as to say that explicitly that it's pornography, then... then Your mind yeah. automatically goes somewhere. With with what you know about Peter Pan and the... And the, the what are the... What's his people called? The Lost Boys? Yeah. Oh. Even forget. with that name, yeah, they're, they're the Lost Boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, you can even, just use your even imagination. With what I know about Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, with what you know about Alan Moore, what you know about those stories, and the what fact I know about pornography. pornography, you can use your imagination. <laughs> with and... their powers combined, they are yeah. Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast goes places, man. We started talking about Love and Rockets and ended up with Captain Planet. Well, it, it does <laughs> it does make me wonder. Like I, I look at just looking at this and you're right, the way that he draws women, it's it's very volu- they're very voluptuous and very like uh, you know, alluring. And it does make me wonder if there's if maybe there's he just any likes drawing big boobs. Maybe, maybe, but I was going to say, like, I wonder if it'd be too far to say that there was, like, influence from someone like Crumb, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I don't That's know. If someone, told me, if someone told me that there was, it wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, Crumb, Crumb's, Crumb's another problematic guy where uh, he's considered, you know, very highly regarded within comic book circles, but I do think that it's also come out that what he drew in his comics wasn't too far from what he was like in person. Yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty, uh, rapey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if he actually committed it, but it, it, it definitely wasn't a, a tea party he was having. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. there have definitely been some, shall we say, uncomfortable allegations. Yeah. Yeah, and and again, combined with the actual comics that he did write, uh, it's like 
I don't know how far off this is from the truth of how he lived his life. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's a little too close to home. So. But yeah, uh, that is to say that um, just the way that he draws uh, women in in this this particular comic it 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 really does remind me of something like that like uh crumb's work again uh it makes me wonder whether what what his level of influence is yeah it makes sense i mean i imagine yeah i imagine that gilbert hernandez and his brothers probably uh delve pretty deep into alternative comics and you know those Crumb comics from, uh, like the seventies and whatnot. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're you're absolutely right. It totally makes sense. Uh, a few other stories that I wanted to go into. I wanted to go. Uh, one of the stories was titled "An American in Palomar." Uh, this is a story where this American journalist, uh, a photojournalist, comes to Palomar and, uh. I don't really know how else to describe it, except he comes to take pictures of the people here and really just kind of tries to capitalize off them. Uh, off and his ignorance is just in full profile. Uh, he comes to Palomar and he's, I guess he he's presented as this kind of enlightened hippie type or something. Where, but but again, it's this uh, almost condescending savior type of uh, complex that's on display here where he, he talks about how his entire mission is how he wants to show the beauty of this place and he at one point he goes to Luba and she he sees her toiling uh, at work and he says oh I want to I want to capture the beauty of this place and she goes well let me get my family together let's let's take the pictures tomorrow and when she arrives in and she's not you know covered in grease and sweat and you know she's actually dressed up mm-hmm. the guy is kind of disappointed <laughs> in, in in that because he was like I what I wanted to take was pictures of people struggling because you know <laughs> this is the picture that people have of South America and if I just show pictures of you uh you know well dressed and well presented uh it, it doesn't reinforce our idea of yeah. this country <laughs> you know so I do think it it was a story that had a little bit to say about uh you know I I, I think American uh, ignorance yeah exactly exactly it's a pretty good satirical story exactly exactly and you know whereas uh maggie the mechanic was uh we were saying that i was saying it was more subtle in terms of uh his portrayal of just hispanic heritage and uh you know these peoples this uh heartbreak soup is undeniably uh something that steeps itself in hispanic culture even though it's a fictionalized his uh hispanic uh, nation or country or village I, I'm, I'm not even really sure what the classification is but um yeah, yeah that that one particular story did feel like it had something to say about you know americans and just how they behave and yeah. how they view boorish yeah yeah uncouth yeah. and churlish <laughs> exactly exactly he was a churro <laughs> uh. 
I know words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on Heartbreak Soup? I I had two more stories that I wanted to talk about. One was The Laughing Sun, which was a story about uh, the kids in the village when they grow up and they become adults. It's about how uh, one of them, uh, for the better, uh, I don't really, yeah, for the better lack of a word, he, he ends up going crazy because he thinks he, kills his daughter when he's in the middle of a fight with his wife and he runs off into the wilderness and these four friends reunite and they go out in search of him and it's about them kind of reacquainting themselves with one another and you know as the story progresses you view their friendship as it's evolved over time and like to what it is now Mm -hmm. so I did like that story. I thought that was a pretty good, uh, yeah, just a story, again, just a story about these characters and how they've evolved and uh, just the bond that they formed with each other and how even as all this time has passed, they're committed to each other, even though, you know, they've clearly drifted apart to some degree. Yeah. So I thought that was a good story. There's something uh, very realistic about the whole element of drifting apart. Like there's just, yeah, I feel like that's something that that resonates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I recommend it. So if you get a chance to read that story, it's it's a good story. Uh, the last story is, I don't know if it's just like a sub story within the like larger chapter of it. But uh, the chapter is called Bullnecks and Bracelets, and the story in particular was The Old Man. And it's about Israel, uh, one of the kids in in their friend group. And the way that he's portrayed is he's kind of this tough guy, like very machismo, and he's a dude that is kind of the ladies' man. Uh, Like There are so many scenes over the course of the book where you just see him with his shirt off and he's just totally Mm -hmm. buff. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And up to this point, that's, that's how you view him in your head. But when you get to the end of the story, uh, it's revealed that he's, I think he's like a gigolo or something or, or if not that he's in this, uh, this gay relationship with a, with an older man. And yeah, the, I don't. There was something about that story in particular where it's just this idea of this guy who presents himself to the world a certain way, um, you know, and finally having it all catch up with him because mm-hmm. he's a dude who he's he's the guy that cheated with Carmen uh, and uh, Hercules, right? Uh, he, he's he's the he's the guy that Carmen cheated with on Hercules. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a dude who just doesn't really seem to have any very many connections to the relationships in his life. And he goes on this weird journey where he kind of reconnects with uh, the various friends in his life. And at one point he, one of the, the girls in his uh, from his youth he ends up making make love to her and 
he tells her that they should run off together and when she finds out when he finds out that she's just as cynical and you know unfeeling as he is he just goes on this crazy binge where like it's a crazy page where you don't even see what's going on it's just a bunch of sound balloons and word bubbles and you know sound you, you're, you say sound balloons or uh sound uh sound effects, effects and word bubbles so you don't really know what's going on it's totally left up to your imagination but yeah you can tell he he had himself a time you know yeah 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 and then it all just culminates with him just he's he's kind of at his worst uh he's he's confronted uh you know the one guy who who um it's it's really com- uh, complex to describe the relationship but basically earlier on in the story uh Israel tries to get this guy's wife to like leave the situation that she's in because it's just a bad marriage and he confronts this guy uh after the fact because the woman doesn't want to leave with Israel and he just kind of beats the guy up and then wanders aimlessly in the wilderness before he decides to go back to his 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 gay lover mm-hmm. um but yeah there's like i couldn't really pin down what this story is about but there is something about his descent and uh there's something about just this facade that he puts up that that did resonate with me where i don't know i just felt for this dude where i i, I don't know well, I guess I do know why he's doing what he's doing, uh, but there's something about how much pain and self-harm he's going through in order to tell himself that none of this stuff matters to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a uh, heartbreak soup for me. Those were the the stories that I did like. I... It's definitely of the two, the one that I'd be more inclined to read again and just kind of ponder further. Here's a question. Would you read more Love and Rockets? I would probably, yeah. You know, well, okay, one, we own the PDFs. So <laughs> yeah, at some point we should read it just to get our money's worth, our value's worth out of it. So exactly. from a practical perspective yes i I do intend to read it um am i gonna read it tomorrow or am i gonna like (laughs) just you know gobble up everything all the other volumes after this Uh, probably not 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 quite so soon uh i i've got other things to read we've got other things to read for the podcast so um, if we live long enough we'll read all of love and rockets Ooh, that is I, I'd like to think that I, I I'd like to think that it it's not gonna be at that level or at that point. I, oh, I'd like okay. to think that <laughs> we'll finish it before you know I'm lying on my deathbed. <laughs> uh, how about this? And I don't <laughs> I don't know why this just came to mind again, but yeah. Would you rather read more Love and Rockets or would you rather read more of the Incul? 
I would if it's if it's Gilbert Hernandez, I'd probably read more of Gilbert Hernandez's Love and Rockets than the ink call. Okay, okay. Truth be told. Yeah. How does that make you feel? That's cool, man. I mean, I was that was just a purely uh personal philosophical question, you know? Just because I uh, asked you and uh I just felt like there was dead silence, so I didn't know if uh no, you were just stunned no, by I was, it. I was or... <laughs> no, I wasn't stupefied, I was just curious okay. and you satisfied okay. my curiosity. Okay, okay. Yeah. How about you? What would you say to that? I think I'd probably also rather read more Love and Rockets over the Inkle, but Okay. The Inkle is less demanding in terms of the amount of time it takes to to read one of those volumes it's a lot shorter and not yeah. as dense I, I think the other thing about the Inkle is there is something about the world and the characters that i don't think it's it's a thing where i don't necessarily like hate them but there are idiosyncrasies of their behavior that i either find frustrating or that i don't get altogether mm-hmm. so it's reading it that that I find kind of annoying, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I I really don't understand why some of the characters behave the way they behave or act the way that they act, and it's it's irksome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I don't get it. <laughs> maybe, we gotta, maybe, maybe I'll give the Call another chance someday. Uh, I, I mean, again, like, like Love and Rockets, we own, we own the digital copies, so... I should read it. Yep. Shout outs to Humble Bundle for helping us always yeah. obtain these great works for super cheap. I will also say that <laughs> this is an admission on my part, but we've got quite a few quite a few European comics from that Humble Bundle and I think I read a decent amount of them uh like maybe 2 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think before the it was right around before, the time the pandemic started. That was one of the first even, bundles that we got excited about. Yeah, yeah, and I have to say, it doesn't make me super excited to go back to European comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I appreciate them from a purely technical. Why you uh, got to be so racist, Albert? <laughs> why you why you hate the Europeans so much? You don't want to read their comics, man. What's up with that? Because they, because they conquered us and they subjugated <laughs> us. I have no reason to show them any love. <laughs> it's a little something we call the opium war, Drew. <laughs> Very good answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Very good answer. Yeah, take that. <laughs> uh, we're just laughing about the opium wars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't have any other thoughts, uh, well, do you have any recommendations in terms of comics uh, that you would recommend to people for who have any interest in Love and Rockets and want to seek out more comics that are like it? My only recommendations this week are works that I think any Love and Rockets fan would already have discovered. But I do like Gilbert Hernandez's 
other works outside of the Love and Rockets universe. Like he's done a couple of graphic novels for other publishers that I particularly have a lot of love for. Uh, the first one is Sloth, which was originally published by Vertigo Comics, actually. Uh, kind of surprising that he did some stuff for DC, but Sloth is a fully original graphic novel about a teenage boy who wakes up from a coma and then, uh, yeah, basically it becomes this sort of surreal teenage romance about this suburb uh that he lives in and it's it's a really compelling piece of work very very uh good writing and i i liked it a lot the other mm -hmm. one of his that i would also recommend is marble season which was published by drawn in quarterly that one is a story i don't it's not it's not autobiographical or anything but i feel like that one feels like it could be stuff that was influenced by his own uh childhood because it's it's about a bunch of kids who enjoy you know things that they like to do in the 60s so they like to play with marbles and they're into pop culture and they like uh they like comic books and stuff like that mm -hmm. um and it's it's really about their discovery of what they like as kids and it's a lot of fun uh there's a lot of surprisingly uh complex uh layers to it but it's also a work that doesn't get weird and and sexual like some of his other stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's if you want a version of love and rockets that isn't cringe inducingly sexual <laughs> is what i'm hearing <laughs> yeah that's essentially what i'm saying yeah yeah marvel season might be my favorite book from from gilbert hernandez i I definitely recommend that actually you know what i just thought of too was uh it's, it's another dc book called the twilight children and we had just oh, talked okay. about darwin cook last week and darwin cook penciled this one uh, and gilbert hernandez wrote it it was a four issue miniseries that uh vertigo did yeah that's that's another pretty fun comic uh if you just want to read something that hernandez gilbert hernandez wrote mm, and you get mm. to see darwin cook's art nice nice what about you man uh one of the first things that jumped into my mind was ghost world by daniel claus is it, I do think Daniel Klaus is a guy or an, a comics creator who kind of has a similar vibe to to someone like uh, Jaime Hernandez in, in terms of trying to tell those slacker kind of stories um, or maybe even punk. Uh, so there is that. Uh, it's, it's just stories about observing people in their element and uh you know quirky little things that happen in addition to that you know uh we mentioned that it, it felt like love uh, maggie the mechanic was something that had you know a lot of retro romance comic vibes so um one of the things that came to my mind was criminal last of the innocent by ed brubaker and sean phillips uh that's another story that 
tries to take the idea of Archie and filters it through a noir prism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's another, like, it's another example of taking a, a, a retro concept and reimagining it as a different genre, I guess. Um, and while we're on that subject of Archie and, you know, romance comics, uh, I, I'll admit that this might not be the best recommendation that I could make because I've never read any of these comics, but <laughs> based purely on uh, uh, what I've seen and on my observations, I feel like there are things that would be similar to uh, something like Maggie the Mechanic, but maybe more enjoyable is something like just Archie comics in general. So <laughs> I could be completely here, wrong. Pick up any random Archie comic. <laughs> Recommend I could be <laughs> I could be completely wrong. So if anyone of our listeners feels like I deserve to have a brick thrown at my head, throw a verbal brick, hit me, hit us up on our on our uh, Gmail or on Instagram, you know, between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or between the gutters on Instagram or on our Twitter and let us know by all means. <laughs> yeah. Any Archie comic. It's got the yeah. <laughs> ultimate stamp of approval. Never been read by Albert, but highly recommended. <laughs> you know, I've, I've read my fair share of Archie comics in my lifetime. Definitely read a bunch of those Archie digests that they used to put out. You know how, when we were kids, they used to do these really thick collections and put them by the supermarket uh, checkout counters. Yeah, I, th I think they might still do that, but I'm not 100% sure. But when I was a kid, I I had quite a few of those just because, you know, you go to your you go to the market with your parents and you're you spend like an hour or, or whatever uh, with them and you get pretty restless as a kid. So it's boring and stuff. And just as kind of a reward or maybe to appease you, they'll get you uh, an Archie comic. And right, right. that's uh, that's a lot of reading for a pretty small amount of money. So definitely I read those when I was a kid. And th those had, I think, reprints from older eras. They might have had like 90s material, but I don't really remember. Yeah. Uh, you heard it here, kids. Terrorism works. <laughs> if you're ever in a place where you don't want to be just act really restless until the people who are holding you hostage give you a comic book exactly exactly <laughs> that's been my trick to getting free comics for years <laughs> just going to random places with comics and just throwing a tantrum <laughs> yeah. go to your local comic book store plop yourself down on the floor and just scream and wail and pound the ground until they give you a comic book and have you leave the store. Exactly. exactly. And if they, call, if they call the police, just keep on resisting arrest as hard as possible until they give you a comic book. Until then the cops you can give allow you a comic. Be handcuffed. Not only will you do you expect a comic from the store, but now you're expecting a comic from the cops that are arresting you. Exactly. It'll go over real well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any uh, any more recommendations? 
You know, when you were talking about slacker culture, it did just remind me of the other really big slacker indie comic. And this one's from the 90s, but I was thinking of Hate by Peter Bagg. And that's a comic I have a lot of love for. I really like Peter Bagg as a cartoonist. He's definitely known as one of the stars of the of that indie era. But Hate and those Buddy Bradley stories, those are... Uh, it's long-form storytelling, but it's also uh, it's got a mix of comedy and drama where you have this character who's literally the epitome of 90s slacker culture. And instead of the punk rock music that defines Love and Rockets, his slacker generation is defined by grunge music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you get a good amount of like character and relationship type of drama where... Uh, you see this character from a younger age. I don't. I can't remember if he starts off as a teenager or if he starts off as a as like a post college young adult. I think it's. I want to say he starts off as a young adult, uh, and you just kind of see his his life uh, progress over time because it's a pretty long series too, or maybe mm. not long in terms of number of issues or pages, but long in terms of. Uh, the amount of time that Bag spent doing those stories, because I think it had a like a lot of indie comics. It, I think the release schedule of those was kind of irregular, or maybe just mm-hmm. whenever he was able to put something out. Right, right. But yeah, I, w- I would definitely recommend Hate. I have a lot of love for Hate. Nice. <laughs> 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 Uh, well, listening to you, it re- it did remind me of one other thing that I, I thought was worth mentioning, but it's it's comics adjacent, but I would say that, you know, Kevin Smith and Clerks or something like that is also another thing that reminds me of uh, that era's, it, it's definitely later than the Hernandez brothers, um, you know, because those movies, I'm pretty sure they came out in like the early 90s or something like that, but I do think they're spiritually in tune um, in terms of the characters that uh, Kevin Smith was trying to portray and what we see in something like Maggie the Mechanic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if, uh, if you don't have anything else, I guess we can sign off. Uh, goodbye, everyone. If you uh, happen to listen to us on any platform, if you could give us a you know, stirring review, we would appreciate that. If you would, you know, follow us on Instagram, we'd also like that. Uh, anything you can do to help. That's right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, next week, we're going to take a bye week because Albert will be at New York Comic Con. Yep. I I will uh, try to post some pictures on Instagram. So, you know, pay attention to that. If you go to the convention, try and track him down make him read something he doesn't want to read (laughs) or what you want to do. If you find Albert at the New York comic con is you just stand next to him and start screaming and wailing and annoying him to death until he gives you a free comic just to make you leave. Hold him hostage until he gives you a comic. That's going to work real well. Real well. (laughs) Terrorize Albert. You're going to be at the beefy poo table. Yeah, I will be at the Beefy Boo table. Um, I don't have the booth number, but I'll post it up on our Instagram or something, and uh, you guys can all stop by, say hi. You know, we'll shoot the 
shoot our bullets, word bullets. There we go. That's a thing. Dang. <laughs> that sounded kind of threatening to start off with. I thought you were uh, going to make a real terroristic threat. No, I was gonna say, I was gonna uh, say something else, but I didn't want to swear on on uh, on our podcast because I was being uh, considerate. So I I uh, just decided to change the words last minute, and uh, there's a chance it could have came out way worse because uh, it's actively a threat now. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of saying the S word, you made a threat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Always a good uh, transition. And in two weeks from now, we'll do an episode with our She-Hulk attorney at law autopsy. So yep. I guess uh, I've got some TV watching to do during the bye week. Hey, that works out. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Peace. Bye, guys.